In this episode, I talk to Holly Mackay. We chat about her new business, Boring Money, and how she believes storytelling is the key to customer engagement. Hear Holly's own story of how she started Boring Money and her aims to produce easy-to-understand content which talks about financial products in a simple way. Listen to how she's determined to sweep away the stuffy suit-and-tie perceptions people have about the financial services industry. That's all right here in episode 52 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thanks once again for plugging me and my guests into your earphones. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd be grateful if you would share it with your friends and colleagues. Even if it's just one person a week, you'd be helping me out immensely. Let me introduce you to this week's guest and she is Holly Mackay. Holly is a writer and entrepreneur who became fed up with working for big companies. She started Platforum in 2008, and it's now one of the UK's most respected financial research firms. She sold the business to Centaur Media in 2011. Boring Money is Holly's new venture. Her aim is to help people without PhDs in finance understand the investment markets without jargon, bias or pompous gobbledygook. She has two kids, a chocolate-eating cat, and more red shoes than is financially sensible. She's also a bad yet very happy surfer. So let's get to that interview with Holly Mackay, right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. So Holly, welcome to the Empath podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Holly, just tell everybody, where are you Skyping me from today? The very rainy surrounds of Kentish Town in leafy green North London, not. <laughs> <laughs> leafy green North London. Yeah. Not in Kentish Town, but I did go for a run around Hampstead Heath this morning, so that was my, my daily green fix. Oh, that was quite keen of you to, to go running. Do you do that every day? I try and do it three or four times a week. It's when I think. It's my sort of downtime and my, my breathing time. And I think if you live somewhere like London, you need to, well, I need to see some trees and a bit of grass every now and then. So Holly, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. want to talk to you today about your fascinating new business venture, a new website called Boring Money. Uh, mm. But before we get to that, Holly, maybe tell us a little bit about you, where you came from, what your ambitions are. Basically, Holly, what makes you tick? What makes me tick? I More and more I've realised is I, I like writing, I like telling stories, and I like explaining concepts to people in a way that is perhaps a little bit different to the accepted norm, and possibly even funny along the way. So it took me a wee while to realise this. I did modern languages at university, did a thesis in medieval French, which doesn't naturally lead on to a career in financial <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> I first started working in finance when I was over in Australia, where I lived for seven years. And I worked on a platform there because there were a lot of platforms. They were compulsory 
retirement savings. Everyone had a superannuation account that was managed on a platform. So I worked there until 2003 and then landed back in the UK just at a time when people were starting to think about these strange things called platforms, which fortuitously I happened to know about. So worked as a consultant for, for a wee bit, did some time with Abby on their Jane Tay platform and then set up the platform, my first business in 2008. And I think, Roger, what really worked for me then is Again, going back to this telling the stories, I started to write a weekly email. It was the sort of pre-blogs, can you believe, back in just 2008. But the word blog hadn't really been coined. It wasn't a popular expression then. And I wrote this Friday email and it just seemed to resonate with people, the sort of tone of voice that I talked very much. I just had a baby. So I talked about the rugrats, talked about various escapades, red shoes, things that people wouldn't really associate with finance. And I built an audience from that. And the, the whole business really evolved from there. And was that pre-blog, that email, was that the thing that uh, created Platform? Definitely. You know, and it was lucky. I, I didn't know it was going to. I just did what I enjoyed and I liked. And it, um, I think it's hard to imagine now because, you know, 2008 is not really that long ago. But at that time, there was really only content that was either produced by the marketing people from big grown-up life companies or there was the industry press, which again tended to have quite a sort of serious corporate tone of voice. And something I could never quite work out is why so many people who work in finance are actually a cracking good laugh when you get them one-on-one. -on -one. And there's some brilliant sort of people I know and friends I've got in the industry. But as soon as we go to work, we sort of put our boring hats on. <laughs> and all the content that came out was very, very dry and very what I call navy blue. So I just had a bit of fun kind of writing this email and talking I mean I had just had a, a, a baby and I think what I look back now and a lot of my the early audience were IFAs of course there's a lot of IFAs sort of in their 50s 60s who were kind of grandparents new grandparents so a lot of the Thomas the Tank Engine stories the sort of muslin stories the oh god the ghastly nappy stories <laughs> they resonated and, and I, I genuinely think that's what it is and then when you build a community you know an audience you get insights, you start to understand what makes people tick. And, and, and that was really the cornerstone of the business because, of course, life companies, fund managers, platforms, they want to know what makes their, their customers, the IFAs, tick. Indeed, and I think the storytelling side of things is a, is a subject that comes up on the podcast time and time again. And let's face it, as human beings, we love listening to stories. And what better way to talk about something relatively boring like money and investment by associating it with something a little bit more interesting. It's, it's obviously a way that will engage with people and it's really surprising, as you say, that a lot of uh, writers within the financial services industry seem to revert to this sort of jargonistic, dull, pseudo-professional copy with lots of passive language, which really just doesn't turn anybody on at all. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of reluctant to talk about this because I'm still experimenting and learning and I haven't cracked it yet. But I think one thing I, I did 18 months ago now, I, I just talked to a lot of friends of mine who had had babies and had got all the standard gump through the front door about when I had my child, it was a child trust fund. And that was the thing I'd never really sort of got over, Roger, as I, I remember, you know, having had no sleep, couldn't think about anything, could hardly remember my own name. And then this pack, 80-page pack with <laughs> thousands of names and, and kind of waffle came through the front door. And 
once the NCT group worked out that I just had a baby and I knew something about finance, everyone, so the phone rang off the hook and people just said, look, can you explain this? Or don't even explain it to me. Just just give me a tip. What should I do? So I've always thought that's a sort of real opportunity when you look at children and babies. It's a very sort of bonding, common experience. Mm. Um, why, when we come to talk to people who have had babies in finance, do we, do we lose the ability to engage with them as fellow parents? So I tried filming a video about 18 months ago about junior ISIS and I did it with my kids who were I mean that was brave stroke stupid right they were (laughs) six and four at the time and it was unscripted and I knew we pretty much had one take before they'd go completely feral and wild but it resonated with people and it was the learnings from that were really interesting it was little things like one mum wrote to me and she said I watched that it's the first financial video it was about five minutes I've ever watched from start to finish. And the reason I could watch it is because I've got a young baby with me and young babies like kids and your kids were buzzing around the screen so much that my baby was actually watching them. So we were both able to sit there for five minutes and watch this video. And, you know, that's just one example of the sort of feedback that, that I think if you test and learn and get things out to an audience, you get some really surprising feedback. Yeah, and and of course... One of the questions I always ask on the podcast is where or when was the light bulb moment that suggested to you the business model that we were going to talk about? And we're going to talk about Boring Money, the new website that you've just launched. And it's quite a bit different than Platforum. Platforum was more of a research tool to enable people to learn more about platforms and to try to simplify a lot of the jargon surrounding platforms. Was this interaction with uh, with other mothers and other other um, parents the thing that gave you the, the, the light bulb moment for boring money? Or was it something else, Holly? I didn't think it was that. I think back in 2010, I was that platform. We did our first direct-to-consumer platform report. So we went out and we looked at the, the Hargreaves, the Barclays, the Fidelities, the TDs, and the first report we issued was was okay, Roger. You know, it had a lot of data in, it talked about the platforms, it talked about the technology. The missing bit was it didn't talk about the customers. Mm-hmm. So the second report we did, we worked with Ipsos Mori um, and we worked with Consensus Research and we also uh, had some data. We were doing some stuff with The Telegraph and um, so we had access to their reader panel. And the most sort of striking thing for me that came back out of all this research, the two facts that have sort of driven me ever since, and the first fact is that only a quarter of UK adults have any form of risk-based investments whatsoever. And I think when you look at interest rates today, you know, people aren't making the best decisions for their money. No. There's lots of reasons for that. And the second thing that I found was really interesting is of the quarter of people who have risk-based investments, so that's the very most engaged, only about a third of them find it at all interesting. For the rest of them, it's like pulling teeth. You know, it's like a trip to the dentist. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be like that, and I don't think it should be like that. So I think, you know, back in 2011, it was then, that figure just, just struck me, and I thought, this is wrong, it shouldn't be that way. Obviously, after selling the, the platform last year, I, I was very lucky. I had two months off. Well, I say off, looking after a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. But two months of just sort of breathing space and thinking time and sort of really took this idea and talked to... I was a nightmare. You know, I'd go out to sort of restaurants. I'd talk to the waiters about their money. I'd talk to taxi drivers. I'd talk to mums at the school gates. 
and just really sort of built the idea from from that. I think I'd, I'd like to challenge the status quo and the sort of received wisdom about how we have to talk to people about money. I think it's all wrong. And I suppose another thing that's driven me is watching years of going to conferences and hearing the industry, and it is generally a sort of a, a guy in a suit stand up and say, we've got to educate the consumer. And I, I rail against that. I think it's patronizing. We don't. We have to figure out how to talk to them in their language and help them make decisions. It doesn't mean they need to go home and mug up on volatility or, or you know, sharp ratio. <laughs> I think that's an incredibly insightful statement that you've just made there, Holly. I mean, I've been the guy in the suit um, since I since I since I left corporate life, and I, and I think I, I read in your resume on the Boring Money website that you got fed up with big corporate life a number of years ago, and I and I, I sort can't of do it. <laughs> I've I, sort I, honestly, I can't all those PowerPoint oh, presentations no. and internal meetings, I, and and I've followed you down that route now, and I've never really thought about it before. But the way you just said that, the way that people stand up and say we need to educate the public about pensions we need to educate the public about protection no we don't we need to talk to the public in a way that engages with them yeah it's i mean imagine i don't know imagine someone sort of talking to people about a motor car or something and, and sitting there saying i need to educate you about the engine or imagine going to see the dentist and then trying to get you to watch a half hour video about the chemical properties of amalgam before you went in. I mean, it's just, it's unthinkable, right? So I don't know why we think we can get away with it. And I'm really interested in the, the name of your new website, Boring Money. Now, funnily enough, uh, a couple of weeks ago, episode 49 of the Empath podcast, I was interviewing um, a gentleman from Scotland, a guy called Fergus Muirhead. He's a, an advisor and a broadcaster. And he launched his own website a few years ago similar sort of idea trying to educate ah there I've gone and made the mistake there trying to inform the public and, and talk to the public in a simple way and he called his website money sucks and, and and there you've got your website called boring money there's a sort of theme developing yeah. there isn't it well, I tell you what, Fergus and I would never make it in America I sort of sent the website over to this big corporate in America and you could almost hear the sort of intake of breath they were sort of like a bit too earnest I think for it there's a, there's a reason behind it, Roger, and it's, it's, well, it's also the brainchild of someone like me who I'm afraid's got possibly the lowest sort of boredom threshold of anyone I've ever met. I start fidgeting <laughs> up between seconds in, in most presentations. There's two things driving it. One is, I think, and I guess this is what Fergus was, was talking about probably, it's just being realistic. That is what most people think about money. It's trying to get through to people who do think money's boring because I think there's probably about 350, 400,000 adults in the UK who are regular consumers of the personal finance press who think it's interesting, who like getting involved in forums and chats and debates on active, passive, etc, etc. But the rest of the UK adult population does think that money's boring, right? Yeah. So yeah. why not be upfront? Why not kind of tackle them head on with that and, and be a bit mischievous about it. The second thing is something I really believe in, is if you look at a lot of the engagement materials we have with people about finance, it's all predicated on transactions, on switching, on yes. doing something, on getting out of China and, and, and going into UK small caps. But we know that transaction costs and all this activity 
identity is a sort of terrible lag or drag on performance. And I think, you know, it's very much the wrong message. What we need to be talking to people about is just get, just save something, just get cracking. You know, if you've got £25 a month that you can put aside into something, you can set up a direct debit with some of the platforms with just 25 quid a month. Put a toe in the water and then, for heaven's sake, stop fiddling and, and leave it alone. So I think, you know, there's two things to the name. One is, yes, it's acknowledging most people think money's boring. But the other thing is saying to people, resist the urge to fiddle too much and make it a bit more boring. Save as much as you can, as often as you can, chart a course and then leave it alone. So you came up with the idea for boring money. Obviously, what you wanted to do is to create a website which explained savings and investments, pensions and platforms in, a, in an engaging, in a simple way. Tell us a little bit about how you started to build the business from scratch and t tell us what's available on the website and what people can do to interact with it. Yeah, well, I've still got actually the A4 bit of paper on which I scribbled down what I thought the homepage should look like. And it does pretty much look like my designers will shoot me, but it pretty much looks <laughs> like that's drawing. I wanted it to look like a magazine. I didn't want it to look like a financial website. I wanted it to be very colourful and I wanted it to have pictures of people on. I wanted it to be a, a, a place where people could go and have a look and say, that person's like me or that person's having a similar issue. This feels like it's about people, not about ices or sips. And I don't know what those things are anyway. I wanted it to be quite simple because I think a lot of the financial websites out there are so full of information. They look very cluttered and there's just endless article after article and it's very hard for people to sort of navigate a path through it. So the sort of guiding principles were that it should be colourful, it should be visually interesting, it should be a bit irreverent and a bit cheeky, something a bit different. Um, I don't think I can help that, actually. That's just, just That's me. just you. <laughs> <laughs> And I like the sort of guiding principles. There'd be six tiles basically on each page with a picture of a real person in and, and their question, their issue or their problem. Um, so very much starting with people's needs rather than going in because of course I'm not in the, I'm not a product provider. I don't have products to sell. So we've, we've done that. As you say, we sort of launched nearly three weeks ago now. And the site does just primarily look at investments at the moment. It looks at funds, platforms, pensions and ICEs. And the bits, it's really interesting, hopefully for your, your listeners, it's interesting to me where people are going and what they're looking at. And the pages they're going to, Roger, are we have pages which are either platforms we like, ISAs we like, or in the case of funds where I'm not a qualified analyst, we've gone out to various experts in the market and it's funds the experts like. So it's people going and saying, I don't want to sit here for an hour and fossick through the whole market and try and mug up on this. I want to find someone who I think I trust and get them to give me a narrow shortlist of three or four options. And then I'll go and make the decision from there. And of course, when people come to the Boring Money um, website, all this information is available to them, but you make it perfectly clear in the narrative in the website that you're not offering financial advice. Is there some sort of handoff process to a financial advisor if somebody comes to your website and thinks, yeah, I, I like what I'm reading, but I still need to speak to somebody face to face? Yeah, and we haven't sort of formalised it yet. Again, I'm sort of testing and, and, and working that out. But I'm very clear, I hope, on the site when I think people need financial advice and when I think it doesn't stack up economically or, or 
they may not need to go and see a financial advisor. And an obvious sort of example of this is if they're picking a junior ISA or maybe they, they're, they're putting a sort of a contribution into an annual ISA. Where I always think there is no substitute for financial advice is, of course, when people are making technical and important decisions around pension and at the moment of retirement. And what I've tried to do as well, there's an interview on the site actually with Richard Allen from the Paraplanner. Oh, yes. And it's talking to him about what can people expect when they go and see a financial advisor? Because I think we take it for granted that people know what financial advice is. I don't think people do. And people don't know how much it's going to cost. And people are reluctant, I think, to go and have a 45-minute initial meeting without knowing at the moment, if they, at the end of that, if they're going to be horribly embarrassed because is someone going to turn around and say this costs an extortionate, unaffordable amount of money or not? So I'm trying to sort of give people in that three or four minute interview with Richard an, a kind of guideline of this is what it will probably cost. This is what you're in for. And here's how to look for a decent financial advisor. I think that's an ex- excellent idea. And again, I, I imagine quite a lot of people out on the street probably have that image that you um, painted earlier of a man in a suit, somebody maybe a little bit uh, unapproachable, when in fact the majority of financial advisors are just like everybody else. They're good people. They don't often dress in suits these days. Who does? And, and, and it's just a good way of getting over that preconception that people might have and, and encourage them to step through the door and have a chat. I think so. And I think one thing, you know, having talked to a lot of customers out there for financial advisors, I think having something on the homepage, which is a very clear photo of you and a bit about your personal life or your family life or what makes you tick as a human being is key for that trust element. And I think furthermore with that is have something about the prices and what people might expect. Most other industries or websites or wherever you go will will have a sort of fixed cost and none of this silly nonsense smoke and mirrors basis points. I'm talking pounds here. We don't like making sort of estimates or giving rules of thumb in finance. And I think we have to get better at that because people understand they understand what a rule of thumb is and they understand what a guideline is. So you can always give someone an indicative cost for providing a particular service. And, you know, there is that lack of trust around with financial advisors. People are worried they're going to get ripped off. And I think you have to tackle that head on. Polly, as you've been setting up Boring Money, what are the challenges that you've faced in getting your initiative off the ground? Oh, millions. It's really (laughs) hard. It doesn't get easier the second time around setting up a business. It gets harder, I think. Um, For me, in my particular channel, it's, of course, customer acquisition, because there's no end of people running businesses from their second bedrooms where the content is excellent, but does that matter if you're getting eight people going to your website every day? Of course. And of course, over the last few years, it's all got a bit more sophisticated. It's all um, a a lot more complicated now. So, So for me, I think the bit of the business I enjoy and the bit I hope, touch wood, I'm kind of if not good at them, at least okay at, is the content and the stories and the the visuals. I love all of that. The bit that's a steep learning curve for me is the digital strategy that I'm now sort of thinking about and and putting into play. And, you know, how do you get word out there? Because, you know, I think there's a lot of myths out around stuff going viral. I think if you look at a lot of stuff that has gone viral, especially in the corporate world, 
there's often been a big associated spend with that. Yeah. We don't always hear of Or it's it, a so. complete accident that it's gone viral. Yeah, or it involves a sort of cat doing something really fun. <laughs> yes. Of course, why I've got Mork, who's underperformed a bit at the moment, actually. I think my cat, as soon as you put a flipping camera anywhere near her, she sort of runs away or starts biting. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I have to get another cat as well, I think, Rocky. So you're using social media to uh, promote? All of that, all of that. But there's a few sort of tricks up my sleeve yet. I mean, really what I wanted to do is launch and learn from real people because I could either spend lots of money on sort of consumer research and test something which is all sort of theoretical and hypothetical on what I think we have to be be good at. And it's quite sort of bold. And it, you, you are exposing yourself to sort of lots of criticism, I think. But I just wanted to get something out there and the emails I get from people now are, are awesome. It's, it's, and some of them are not, they're not all sort of universally flattering. I got an email sort of one day after launch from this man who was convinced I was sexist because I am, um, <laughs> part of the language on the website is, you know, it shouldn't just be for the old boys. It's a learning curve, uh, but I wanted certainly to get something out there before I thought it was perfect um, and just learn from people. And, there's a lovely quote I kind of hold on to every day at the moment from the chap who founded, uh, I think it was LinkedIn, and he said, you just have to get to the edge of the cliff and you jump off the cliff and on your way down you work out how to build the aeroplane. And that's <laughs> where I'm at the moment. I'm slightly in free fall, but um, it's, it's good fun. So effectively, boring money at the moment is a live test and it's a, it's a live research tool. And, and that's a great way to experiment. And I think one of the big problems that we have in the wider financial services industry, especially with the bigger companies, is that they haven't got this either desire or even ability to create stuff and test it in a live environment. It, they always have to be 100% certain that it's going to be totally polished and totally um, accurate and totally workable before they'll put it out there. I and agree and I, I, you know, I'd, I'd almost raise you on that. And this is maybe me being a bit provo I think everyone's got a bit chicken and no one <laughs> I think these days people are afraid to be accountable and people are afraid to take risks and we hide behind these pointless business plans and you know I I just think business plans are such a waste of time because you get someone, they've got an idea, they go off until they find numbers that tell the story they want to tell. And people spend, you know, the amount of time and money people spend on pulling together business plans, you could just be out there sort of with something live testing it. And so that, that fear factor that corporates have of actually making a decision and trying something and accepting that it might well be wrong. But I think there's a lot of goodwill out there from customers. If you are honest and you say to them, look, here's something, it's kind of new, it's not perfect, do you like it? I think people respond really well to that if, you, if you're honest with them. I think you're right. I mean, obviously, there will always be the, the, the very small subsection of people out there who like to troll sites like yours. But on the whole, most people want other people to succeed. And I, again, I agree with you. There's an element of chicken. There's an element of we can't do that. And, and, and a lot of it is fear of compliance. And oh, yeah, but and, that, that makes me... Yes, it's a very real issue, but my God, it's a lazy excuse as well. It's a lazy excuse. And also, it's one that the regulator themselves say you shouldn't use regulation as an excuse because actually a lot of the rules aren't as prescriptive as you think they are. I, it, it's just that yeah. you've got internal processes, auditors, compliance managers and compliance processes, which actually platinum plate the whole thing and, and effectively stifle innovation and stifle entrepreneurialism. I'm getting on my hobby horse here as I well know. now, Holly. But I also <laughs> think, I do think, if you talk to very senior 
senior people at the FCA. That is certainly the message you get. I do think there is a lack of consistency, though, within the organisation. When you get further down the food chain, that the people who are actually policing the business and supervising the business may be sort of more led by a rule book and sort of take an interpretation which is contrary to that. And I think it's very, I think they have a very difficult job. I don't necessarily say I've got solutions for that, but I I do feel for companies who, you know, there are grey areas, especially around this whole consumer space. How do we talk to people? How do we give tips and pointers? How how do we do what everyone can see we need to do without getting sort of smacked by the regulators? So I think we're all on a learning curve. I, I do have some sympathy for the corporates out there who are, who are struggling with some of the grey areas. But I, I also, every time I hear someone stand up and go, oh, we can't do this because of compliance, I, I just want to shout. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. I, I think you're right. The top level and the, and the le- level down need to get their message absolutely in sync. Holly, what's the one thing that you'd like those people listening to the Empath podcast today to take away from the experiences you've had building boring money? I don't know, I always feel it's a bit arrogant to sort of sit here, you know, I'm not, I didn't launch Airbnb, I haven't launched LinkedIn, you know, so I'd be, I'd be feel a bit humble about thinking I, I could go and tell people how, how to run their lives or their businesses. But I guess the one thing I found is just being honest. And there's something about when we think we have to do something in business or we think we're doing it and it's a sort of corporate activity, we leave our personalities and our day-to-day lives behind and we sort of put on this corporate hat and I'd say to people I don't think people should be so afraid about possibly doing something which might appear in inverted commas unprofessional because actually I think when we approach business in a personal way we're much more authentic and it resonates with people and we have better relationships and we have more fun on the way so I'd say sort of don't be afraid to ditch the the masquerade of a suit and a tie and just be yourself because that's i think in 2015 that is being professional i think that sums up exactly what you've achieved so far with boring money you've ditched the collar and tie you've ditched the the black i have and literally suit. as well i sent them <laughs> to a charity shop so <laughs> It's it's a fascinating venture, Holly, and I'm really interested in seeing how it develops. And I'm going to keep a really close eye on what you're doing here and uh, the way it develops into the future. And again, the themes that have come out of our conversation today are themes that come out on the Empath podcast time and time again. Storytelling is a great way to engage with consumers. Simple language is a great way to engage with consumers. Ditching the jargon, ditching the passive language, and just doing something which engages and which effectively sweeps away some of the uh, the stereotypical imagery that people have of the financial services industry. So thanks very much for coming on the Empath podcast today to explore that with me. Before we go, I'd just like to finish the podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. What's the one thing you'd change about the financial services industry if somebody gave you a magic wand to wave? I'd have more women working in it. I mean, I just don't know how we can think that we can fire off products which suit our customers when the people making the key decisions don't tend to look like most of our customers. What's the one business model or a product or a campaign that's caught your attention in the last year? Tell us what you liked about it. I think, I mean, if we keep it to financial services, there's not a great range to choose from, but I do like what Nutmeg are trying to do. They're trying to keep it simple. They're keeping their videos very short. They're visually engaging, um, relying on visuals more than words. So I think, you know, they've 
they stand out from the crowd for me. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your working life. Uh, it's probably Hootsuite, uh, just being able to sort of manage Twitter and, and social media. So that's, that's the thing that probably springs to mind. What's the best business book you've ever read? Tell us what you like about it. I'm going to go a bit off piste here and I'm going to surprise you and say Crime and Punishment because <laughs> it's the book that's taught me most about human nature and if you believe like I do that business is personal, that's um, that was very insightful for me. And finally, who would you most like to hear interviewed on the Empath podcast? Probably someone a bit out there. I'd like you to find someone who set up a digital business in a non-associated environment and someone who we probably don't even know about yet because it is a startup. And I'd like you to get them to come and critique the financial services industry and free from the shackles of compliance, tell us all what they think we should do. Wow, that's a bit of a challenge, but I'm <laughs> fairly up for that. <laughs> and before we go, Holly, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few people out there who are going to want to get in touch with you, having heard you talking on the podcast. Tell everyone, what's the best way they should connect with you? Uh, it's either Twitter, I'm at Holly A. Mackay. Uh, we've also got an at Boring Money account. Or if you go onto the website, which is www.boringmoney.co.uk, there's some contact details for me there. Fantastic. And as always, I'll include the links to your website and the best way to contact you in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. Holly, thanks so much for talking to me today. Well, thank you for having me. I hope I, I haven't been boring. That would be <laughs> Let me wish you every success for the future and with the website Boring Money. And let's catch up at some industry do in the future. Okay, well, we'll be the ones not wearing suits, Roger. We will indeed. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? <laughs>